that God is good. I don't know what your week's been like, but I just, I needed to hear that again and again and again. Uh, thanks, team, for bringing that to us and for God, for your faithfulness to us this morning and your goodness. Well, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's great to have you here with us this morning. And as you know, we're in this series on the subject of forgiveness, uh, forgiveness being the unlocking the doorway to freedom. And we've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks. And our subject that matter this morning is a very, very challenging subject, and that's the subject of forgiving yourself. And so um, I invited a friend of mine, Joel Smith, to come and, and uh, to lead us through this subject I knew when I was going to teach on the subject forgiveness, I had come across the material that Joel had put together, so that gave me a framework, and when I got to this subject, I thought, I need to invite Joel to come and speak to us. So uh, Joel is from the Mechanicsburg area, and he's been in pastoral ministry there for many, many years, and uh, married to his wife, Debbie, who, Debbie, he, actually, he said it was 30 years, so I'm assuming that's right, so he got it right. So, uh, um, and they have three adult children, and the uh, last one's graduating from high school, so uh, he said he just paid that, or excuse me, college, college. Just paid that last tuition bill, so very excited about that. So, uh, anyway, so I am thrilled to introduce to you uh, my good friend. Uh, would you welcome him this morning, Joel Smith? So, well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. And uh, for the past few years, John and I have gotten to know each other. But uh, really, the reason he invited me here this morning is, outside of just about any Walmart, you will see me nowadays with a placard around my neck that says, we'll preach for food. And so John just took pity on me because I'm in a pastoral transition and uh, hired me to come down here and preach this morning. But no, really, we've been friends for uh, quite some time, and I am in a pastoral transition after 28 years as a church planter and a pastor. I'm moving into something called church revitalization, and that's where you go into churches that are in transition or crisis and you do an assessment, and then you go on staff for about 18 to 24 months, and you're their interim pastor, and you lead them through a renewal, a revitalization of their church. And so I'll start that in June. I'll get some training in May and uh, start that in June and looking forward to making that transition. But I'm in a transition this morning, so I was available, and so John's putting me to work. Thanks, John, for doing that. Appreciate it. Um, John and I hit it off in, um, at a, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Conference a couple years ago. Uh, we met with each other. I met each other there. So we started to meet together at a place called Tropical Smoothies in Harrisburg. Any of you ever been to Tropical Smoothies? Yeah, it's a, it's a great place. It's, it's, I, think, I think Tropical Smoothies are part of manna somehow from heaven. I don't know how that works. And I think we meet there because we both like smoothies. But secretly, we wish we were meeting in the tropics instead of South Central PA sometimes in the wintertime, summertime, it's okay. And, uh, and speaking of the tropics, how about yesterday's weather? That was kind of crazy. I was sweating just thinking about running the lawnmower and putting the patio furniture out and all that kind of thing, you know. So uh, today, a little bit different, and uh, I told the team when I got here this morning, they said, how was your drive? And I said, good. I passed one car and one truck the whole way down. The turnpike, so that was fine. Got here and in good, good time. So uh, I really enjoy getting to know Pastor John completely because there's three things I really like about him. I thought about this this week because when you come to someone else's church, you've got to brag on the pastor a little bit, especially when you're friends with them, you know? And there's three things that I really like about John. The first one is he's a lifelong learner. 
He's a lifelong learner. He's always learning. We're out, we're out in the lobby this morning. We're talking about two or three different books that he's reading. And, oh, I read that book. And you know what's really good about that book? It's this or that. And I'm kind of sitting there taking notes because I hadn't read the book yet. And I have to read the book for some of this training that I'm doing in May. So he's a lifelong learner. He's also a laugher. You know, I get together with John. We laugh a lot. We, we uh, you know, just have a good time. And, uh, it, you know, you just got to laugh, right? Because life's kind of tough. And the journey with Jesus sometimes gets tough. The other thing I, I like about John is he's learning how to love well. He's learning how to love well. He's learning how to love this church well and his family well and uh, saying goodbye to his daughter and she's getting ready to get married. He's learning how to love that new member of his family well. So those are three things that I just really enjoy about John and I hope that you know you have a good pastor in that, in John. And that he loves well, he laughs often, and he's a lifelong learner. So... We'll jump in today now that I give my little promo for John. Did I, did I get it right? Did I get it right? He wrote that up for me. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> totally joking about that. See, I like to laugh. I like to have a good time. And this morning, we're going to deal with a pretty serious um, subject matter, the subject matter of forgiving yourself, the subject matter of offloading regret. You see, when we're not forgiving of ourselves, we're holding on to regret. We're holding on to things that we've done in the past, things we've thought in the past, patterns from the past. We're holding on to the past. We are tethered to the past through regret. So it's important to forgive ourselves. Now, we've got to remember, we're not the atoning one, right? Because we started this series with Jesus is the atoning one. He's the basis of forgiveness, and he helps us to forgive others and to ask forgiveness of others. So he's the basis. So when we're talking about forgiving ourselves, we're not talking about self-atonement, Okay? We're talking about agreeing with Jesus' atonement that he's already done when he's forgiven us. But we're having a hard time forgiving ourselves, and so we hold on to things and weights from our past and things from our past that pull us down. And the Lord wants to help us breathe into our nostrils and take in full breaths of forgiveness and grace and love and the power of his spirit so that we can exhale the old life and exhale regret and to breathe in that life-giving grace and truth of Jesus Christ. I read a couple of books on the topic of uh, forgiveness, and uh, one of them that I found that was really good that talked about this fine art of forgiving yourself is How to Forgive Ourselves Totally by R.T. Kendall. It's a great book if you have the time to get it or pick it up or get it on Kindle or something. It's worth the read. And in the beginning, he gives us 10 reasons that we should forgive ourselves. These 10 reasons that we should forgive ourselves. First, he says, God wants you to. He could have said it this way. God provided it. That's why God came from heaven to earth. That's why God climbed up on a cross. That's why God let himself be nailed to a tree and stuck so you could get unstuck. And so in that sticking place, He gets you unstuck. He has forgiveness for us. Second one is, Satan doesn't want you to. Satan doesn't want you to be free. He wants you to be stuck. The last thing he wants is Christians who are free. The last thing he wants is a kingdom of freed up people on the earth ministering the grace and truth and goodness of God and getting free. He doesn't want that. He wants people outside the kingdom to say, well, there's no more freedom inside the kingdom than there is outside. I might as well stay outside the walls. It's all the same. And so Satan doesn't want that for us. The third thing about forgiveness is this, and forgiving yourself is this. It will set you free from guilt and shame. We're going to talk about that a little bit more and unpack that in the second point this morning. Just a little bit about those twin stepsisters, guilt and shame, and how they play off of each other. And they keep us under the weight of regret. 
It will increase your usefulness. Number four, it will make you more useful for the kingdom. When, when you're freed up and out of regret, you're not looking back, you're looking forward. You're looking at what God has for you and how God's built you and the people that he's brought into your life around you and how you can together be the family of God and forward the kingdom of God in this world. It'll make you more useful. It increases your love for others. When you're free to receive God's love fully for yourself unconditionally, you're able to love other people more unconditionally. You don't want to punish them. You don't want to hold back on them. You want them to be free just like you're free. People will enjoy being with you. Maybe this is a good reason. Maybe just look at the person next to you and say, please forgive yourself so we can enjoy being with you, you know? And when we're forgiving and we're loving, people enjoy our presence. They enjoy being around. You can probably think of somebody right now and you're like, man, I love being with that person. They're probably somebody who doesn't hold on to regrets. They're probably someone who doesn't carry around weights from their past. They're probably someone who doesn't live in the past, but they live for the future because they're in, fully arrived in the presence through the power of God's Spirit. It will free you to pursue God's purpose for your life. We just talked about that a few moments ago, that it's forward-moving, and that's one of your core values. I saw that in your core values up there. We're forward-moving as a church. We have good spiritual rhythms as a church, you know, and uh, so it'll, it'll help you do that. It might even enhance your physical health. Studies have done have said that people who walk without regret and are willing to let go of regret and past things in their past are people who are more physically healthy in their life. It might enhance your mental and your emotional health to do that. You might sense a new freedom. A, 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 you might sense some, some lifting of maybe some depression or because you've held yourself down. You, in some sense, have depressed yourself by agreeing with the guilt and the shame from that regret. And lastly, it will enhance your spiritual life. It will grow your spiritual life when you let God's goodness and love forgiveness invade you. I love this quote, and I want us to say it out loud together from Lewis Smeads. Let's just read this out loud together. Forgiveness and discovering the prisoner was you. Let's say that again. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and discovering the prisoner was you. This is not only true of forgiving others, it's true of receiving forgiveness for ourselves and letting go of regret. So our main text for today is taken from 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, and it goes like this. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Let's say that out loud together. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So how do I forgive myself? How do I walk in this new freedom with God? Number one, grieve your regret. You need to grieve your regret. The Apostle Paul says this, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation, there's no regret in that kind of sorrow. Have you ever thought that God wants you to experience sorrow? The word here means to grieve over a period of time. It doesn't mean to sit in sorrow. It means that over a period of time, you are processing your grief. God wants us to process our losses in life. Many times our regrets 
are related back to a loss in our life. We didn't choose to do a certain thing. We didn't choose to go to college. Or we chose to go to college, and we regret we chose to go to college. We didn't, um, you know, we made a decision about our sexuality early on in our life that was detrimental to us. We entered into sexual patterns or sexual sin in a certain way that marred our identity and who we are, and so we regret that. And we kind of hold on to that. But God wants us to have the type of sorrow to process our grief and the things that have gone on in our life. You know, it's, the truth is that we can't live in this broken world without encountering sorrow at various times and in varying levels in our life. The question isn't, will I encounter sorrow, pain, and loss? Will I have regret? The question is, how am I processing my regret, my sorrow? my loss, and the accompanying pain that it brings with it. The Apostle Paul says there are two approaches to processing our regret, our sorrow over our past decisions. He says we can do it in a way that's redemptive and leads to salvation, or we can do it in a way that's destructive and leads us to the death of our soul. How you approach regret makes all of the difference in your life. One way to hold on to it and add to it it's to let the weight of it in some ways become cumulative. In our, we hold on to different regrets. And I brought this backpack this morning. This backpack this morning, this represents our soul. You know, our soul is the deepest part of us. Our soul is the part of us where the psalmist David talked to his own soul. He said, why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in the Lord. And so David encourages us to deal with our soul. And so this backpack it, it just represents our soul this morning. And I have many backpacks in our garage because I usually don't throw anything out. I keep them. And then when we go to the beach in the summer, I, I give them out. This is your backpack. Don't, don't get into mine. Don't get into my iPod or my sunblock or my stuff. You got your own backpack, okay? And uh, so this backpack this morning represents our soul. And uh, in the backpack, I've put a couple rocks in here from my backyard, okay? These need to go back. So, uh, but here, here's a big rock, and maybe this is a bigger regret. This is something I did or said or, or repeated or engaged in over a long period of time, and it's a big regret. It's heavy. But I've not chosen to say, God, I agree with what you did with that rock. You forgave it, and you cast it away as far as the east is from the west, and I just keep it in my backpack in there, and it weighs my soul down. There can be smaller regrets in our life, little things that we've done that there's smaller rocks, but they're cumulative, and together they make up a weight in there. There's some medium-sized rocks in the backpack of our soul, our regrets, things that we've done, things that we've said, places we've been, people maybe that we engaged with or habits or patterns that were destructive in our life, but we keep them in there, and sometimes when we're not processing them, they're weighing us down. And we're carrying this around and our soul feels heavy. That's why David said, why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Let go of your regrets from your past. Let go of them. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How could he say that? How could he say that? He's talking to people that... If they follow him, they have to give up their father and mother, their job, their, 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 their whole life. Because when Jesus says, come and follow me, he says, you know what comes with following me? 
Floods of forgiveness, floods of truth, floods of goodness, floods of grace. So when you come follow me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I don't ask you to carry around a self-atoning, self-paying backpack. I give you a backpack full of the Holy Spirit, full of forgiveness, full of love, full of purpose, full of the kingdom, full of brothers and sisters in the Lord, full of a future. And so my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we have to decide, what are we going to do with this backpack of our soul? How are we going to grieve the regrets of our past so that we can be opened up to the forgiveness of God to agree with his forgiveness of us? in a way that sets us free. Now, there's a bunch of different, uh, uh, different stages in grief, and I'm just going to go over them with you really, really quickly. These are the classic stages of grief, okay? First, there's shock. We have shock. We might have shock that I did that, that I said that, that I engaged in that, that I, I can't even remember doing that. Why did I do that? And we regret that. We have shock. Then we express emotion about that, okay, about our loss. And Then sometimes we feel depressed or lonely or all alone in that loss, especially if we don't share that with someone else. Physical distress is another one. Panic is a phase in dealing with loss and mourning and grief. Feeling a sense of guilt is often something that happens. Even if it wasn't our fault, we can feel a sense of guilt about a loss in our life. Anger and resentment can set in, and that can be a whole phase of dealing with being angry about that. Resisting returning to normal is one. There's not, not going to be a normal again. Everything's in disruption all the time. Regaining hope is another one, another stage. And then affirming this new reality is the final stage and, and finding hope. But often we will get stuck. People will get stuck in stages of grief. They'll stay in anger or panic or the feeling of the sense of guilt. They'll stay back there because what has happened hasn't been brought to the cross and let God forgive it and bless it and renew it and restore it. So our regret represents another loss to us, and it must be grieved. David was a man who dealt with a pile of regret. He acted in ways, he made choices, he acted on desires that he later regretted. He neglected his duty as the king to go off to war with the troops, and instead, night after night, he stared off in the distance, and he didn't need pornography. He stood at a distance as the king who would have the highest plaza in the kingdom, and he would look down, and there he saw a young, beautiful woman bathing. And he looked, and he looked, and he looked until looking wasn't enough. He summoned her to his court in his presence. He had sex with her. She got pregnant. He tried to cover it all up by calling her husband back, who was also someone who was not even part of the community, Uriah the Hittite. But he's such a man of integrity, he wouldn't even sleep with his wife because it was wartime and men weren't to be sleeping with their wives during wartime. And so he won't do it. He sleeps outside the gate. And so what David does is he sends him to the front lines to be murdered. David's got a lot of regret. He was a king who was to be looking out for everyone else in the kingdom, but instead of serving everybody else, he was a self-serving king. And he had seen a self-serving king in Saul, and he never wanted to be that. But he finds himself repeating the sins of Saul before him, putting the people of the kingdom, putting his self before the people of the kingdom. So he's got a boatload of regret. How do I know that? He writes and he laments in the Psalms. He writes laments about it. 
He enters into talking about his own sin and how it's affected him. Listen to these words of regret, these words of lament from Psalm 32, verses 2 through 4. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David is saying, I'm exhausted. I've kept a backpack full of regrets. When I didn't bring them to you, my strength was sapped. But if I bring them to you, Lord, this first verse is true. I'm a blessed man. My sin isn't counted against me. You take my spirit and you cleanse it so there's no deceit in it anymore. And I'm not a deceitful man because of your cleansing goodness in me. But when I don't do that, when I keep my backpack full of regret, when I keep silent, it feels like my bones are wasting away. I'm groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand is heavy on me and my strength is sapped. I can't even get about my day. One of the reasons that I connect so well with John as your pastor is that he is someone who goes below the tip of the iceberg. When we meet together and we talk about life, we talk about losses, he goes below the tip of the iceberg. He's someone who's willing to learn to love well and to learn well and to walk with God. And one of the things that we often talk about is the emotionally healthy spirituality principles that we're putting into place in our life, the things that we're learning from it and how we're growing in it. But one of the principles in session five of emotionally healthy spirituality is called enlarge your soul through grief and loss. Enlarge your soul through grief and loss. Now, doesn't that just sound ridiculous to you? I remember reading that for the first time that I read it. I was at a conference like, enlarge my soul through grief and loss? No, 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 no. Grief and loss stay in the backpack. I don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, they're weighty. Yeah, they hurt. Yeah, sometimes I get them out and I fumble over them and I look at them and sometimes I actually nurture some of the grief and the loss, but I put it back in my backpack. I don't want anything to do with that. Enlarge my soul through grief and loss. The only way you enlarge your soul is if you process your grief and loss, which is called the process of grieving. For every loss in your life, Whether you precipitated it or somebody else's, there needs to be a corresponding season of healing and grieving. For every loss, a corresponding season. But we don't live in a culture that allows a season, right? We lose someone in our life, we have a memorial service, we have a meal, and it's over. Or so it feels like it is, but the loss is still there. It lingers, doesn't it? Because we often don't give ourselves that corresponding season. It's not built into our culture to do that anymore. In the last uh, few months of our life, we've gone through some losses. Uh, I, I'm grieving the loss of, you know, 28 years of ministry and making a transition. That's a, that's a loss. That's a, you know, there's new things ahead, but it feels like there's a loss there. My wife uh, resigned her job and went back to school full-time. And uh, she's studying to be a nurse practitioner. She's got about one more year to go. So let's keep her going, right? Keep her going in that. But there's been a lot of loss. Our, our third one is graduating from college in Western Colorado University in May. And we'll go out and celebrate that. And, but it's our third one. You know, the house is rather empty now. The empty nest syndrome is setting in. And some days it's like, yippee, yay, we got the empty nest. And other days it's, 
I miss Josh. I miss Caleb. I miss Hannah. I miss them together. And so there's a loss, but at the same time, there's a gain, right? But we have to process that. At the end of January, one of my friends helped me process some of my losses in my life by taking me to a retreat way, 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 way up in northern Massachusetts. And we went up there, and he actually took me to a monastery. I'd never been to a monastery before, and he's gone there for about the last 10 years. And so I thought, oh, this is great. We've got to come here and I'll just say anything for 10 days. I'm an external processor. That's how I process things. And we're not allowed to say anything. These guys have taken a vow of silence. We're not allowed to say anything at the meal. Every meal, you weren't allowed to talk. You had to bring a book, and there was a little light behind you. You turned it on. You ate your meal and sat there, read whatever Bible or book you ever had. You know, and all these guys are silent. So I noticed the second day that we were there, we were walking from the chapel to, to the place where we were eating, the dining hall, and we were outside. And it was about 20 degrees out there. It was pretty cold. And we're walking, and all of a sudden, all these uh, brothers, they start coming up and they start talking to Rob, my friend. And I'm like, they're not allowed to be talking out here. And so Rob turns to me and he goes, the, the vow of silence is only for inside the buildings, just in case you're wondering. They're allowed to talk to us out here. And so they're just talking, 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 talking. And I'm freezing, 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 freezing. And I, I wanted to get back inside. So we got back inside and, and Rob said to me, well, what are some of the things that you want to do? And I said, well, after I took my nap this afternoon, which was a holy nap, it was a holy nap, I felt the Lord say to me, write an open-handed lament. But I don't know what an open-handed lament is. I don't know what God means by that, but it's so strong. You ever had that impression from God? Do you ever have an impression from God? You can't say that you heard words, but man, when you write something down, you're like, this isn't of me. This is of the Lord. So I said, Rob, do you know anything about that? And he said, well, I know this. You need to just do it. So take some time to do that. And so that afternoon, that evening, it just flooded out of me. I just sat down at my little laptop computer there in my little room, and I just started flooding out all of my lament and all of my loss and how I felt about that and what I thought about that. But I didn't know what open-handed meant. And so later that night, the Lord told me, well, here's what open-handed means. Open-handed means you give it to me now and I get to inform it. And I get to tell you that that's your lament, but I'll help you sift through and make sense of it. So I want you to read it to your friend Rob. Well, I wasn't ready to read what I had written to anybody. But the Lord said, you must read it to him. He's a safe person. Read it to him. So I said, Rob, the Lord told me to read this to you. That's part of the open-handed thing. And, and in that, he's going to speak to me and, and he's going to inform it. And so I wrote it out and I, I spoke it out. We took some time that, that afternoon, the next day, the third day. And then I said, Rob, I feel like you're supposed to lay hands on me and pray for me, for me to be healed and to let go of this regret. Because you see what happened when I started to process my lament about what other people had done to me, I realized I really was holding myself hostage by not forgiving myself for things that I had done wrong, things that I wished I could have done differently, playing the, the, the tape in my head over and over again. Oh, if I could just back it up three or four months, I, I'd run this different. I'd do this different. I'd have this go differently. 
And so I was just punishing myself over and over again. If I could just, I could just go back. How many times? Have you ever done that? If I could just go back. And so those rocks were heavy, and as I gave them to him, and he prayed over me, and the Lord blessed me and released me, now I'm in a process of living it out. So when it comes to a lament, you need to write it out, you need to speak it out, you need to pray it out, then you need to live it out. And the Lord Jesus Christ will let you and help you let go of that weight of regret. The second thing we need to do is choose faith over fear. Choose faith over fear. And uh, the Apostle Paul says this in this word. He says, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, and that's what I want to stick with, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. And so what does it look like to lack repentance. I mean, think about it. Repentance is a gift. Repentance means to turn from my way, and, and what we're talking about this morning, it means to turn from my way of dealing with my regret to God's way of dealing with my regret. If I repent, I'm turning from my way to God's way. And God's way is what? Leads to salvation. Leads to healing. Leads to fullness. Leads to wholeness in my life. And so why don't we do that? If, if repentance is such a good friend, if repentance is such a healthy thing, why don't we repent? Well, I was thinking about this the last couple of days, and I think one of the reasons that we don't repent is, number one, we think we know a better way. We think we know a better way than God's way. Now, we wouldn't say that, but, and we won't just arrive at that and then contrive it, but along the way, we come up with a better way. A better way, God, is for me to atone for my sins and my regret, for me to haul around this backpack with me and to get it out every once in a while and blame myself. No wonder that went bad again. I made that same stupid choice when I was eight years old. I just keep doing it, put it back in the backpack. Oh, that goes back to a big one there. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. I'll never get over that. And that's our way of doing it. We think we know a better way. And so we don't turn around. It's kind of like when you're following your GPS somewhere. I was following it a couple weeks ago. You know when you're following your GPS and if you're in a big gridded city, you can just keep going once you miss the turn, right? It says, oh, you missed your turn. You know, it'll say, and then it will redirect you. But if you're not in a big city or a big town, often you need to turn back around. But if you're like me, you don't want to turn back around. I don't want to retrace my steps. I don't want to go back. There has to be another pathway. But this is the way we are in our spiritual life. There are times where God says, repent, turn around, just turn back around. Let's go back. I'm going to help you see that situation in a new light through the power of the cross, through the power of forgiveness. And we say, no, Lord, I'm just going to keep going. And I'm going to forge my own path, my own way. And the Lord says, there's only one road out of this one, buddy. And it's forgiveness. And it's letting go of regret. And it's forgiving yourself. So get off the turnpike and turn back around. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, go back to that moment with me. And I will reinform your regret. And I will set you free. And he who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Free indeed. I think another reason that we don't go back and we don't repent is that 
We let shame build up, and we don't know it, but shame comes along. We're, we're guilty. We've done things wrong, and we have guilt, but we haven't taken it to the cross, and so we have the guilt there, and we're holding on to it, and shame comes, and shame is that ugly stepsister that says, not only you did something wrong, shame says, you are something wrong. You're a screw-up. You can't get it right. You can't do the right thing. That pattern in your life will never be cleansed. That's been in your family for generations. And shame says, for Pete's sake, don't tell anybody else and don't tell God. As though God doesn't know. <laughs> but shame keeps us there. Shame keeps us in guilt. Shame keeps the backpack full of weight. And it adds more and more and more as life goes on and on and on. It says in the scriptures that God didn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So shame feeds off of grace and grace feeds off of, or, or shame and, and fear feed off of each other. This is the way Smeeds puts in his book, Shame and Grace. The difference between guilt and shame is very clear. In theory, we feel guilt for what we do. We feel shame for who we are. A person feels guilt because he did something wrong. A person feels shame because they believe they are something wrong. Let me tell you this. The cross was a place of guilt and shame. It was a place where defective people were sent to pay the price for their guilt and their shame. It was a place where publicly and finally they could be displayed for everyone to see. And this is what happens with people who are screw-ups. This is what happens with people who are defective. We take them up a hill, we strip them down, we nail them to a cross, and they pay for their sin. We make them atone. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I. He said, the self-atonement plan never works. You never get set free. Because I'm the only sinless sacrifice for the world and for you. And so that's what he did. He put himself on the line and he got nailed for it. He got stuck in place so we can get unstuck. They stripped him down. They nailed him there. He defeated Satan, death, and hell. And the third day he rose again so you and I could be free and not have to carry around this backpack any longer. And anytime we add a weight, he comes and says, let's take care of that right now. Give it to me. Let me inform it, reform it, redeem it. The word of God says this, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so you have a choice today. Even today, you've come to a safe place. You've come to your church family. And it's a safe place to lift up the backpack of your soul, however light or heavy it is place it all at the foot of the cross and let Jesus set you free and agree with his forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Let go of your regret and be set free indeed. I'd like to pray a prayer for us and then Pastor John's going to come up and introduce a final song for us to watch together as a time of just giving ourselves over to God. Let's talk to God in prayer. This prayer that I'm going to read to you this morning is from 
a classic song of the church called Lead Me to Calvary. King of my life, I crown you now. Yours shall the glory be. If ever I forget your thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget your agony, lest I forget your love for me, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for you, even the cup of grief to share, for you have borne all for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget your love for me, lead me to Calvary. Lord Jesus, lead us this morning, even in these moments, as we watch this song, as we sit here together, lead us to Calvary and set us free from regret and the past. Free us up to follow you fully all of our days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joel, for that challenge to us this morning. Um, I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't long to be free. Doesn't long to be free of that backpack of regrets, those things that maybe you've been carrying around for a long, long time. Um, and the place to be free of them is really at the foot of the cross. And so I don't know what God stirred up in your heart this morning as you've been listening. Um, maybe some of you need to take the step that Joel was talking about this morning. Maybe some of you need to sit and write some things out. Find a person that is a safe person that God directs you to, to listen and speak them out. Um, and then allow God's Spirit to bring about a healing in your soul. I, I know this is not an easy step to take. Someone came to me this morning in the lobby and they said, you know that anonymous email you got a couple weeks ago? I was like, yeah. I was like, that was my lament. And I said, are you ready to come read it to me? And they said, no, 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 no. Can't go there. I said, well, I want to pray that God brings you to that place. I said, you'll be fully free. So I don't know where God's taking you this morning. Um, your regrets may be small. They may be big. But we know that the place they have to come is to the foot of the cross. And so as you listen to this song, we're going to close with this song. Um, our prayer is that you would see the power and the truth in it, and that as you're listening, God would guide you to the steps he wants you to take.